Hello everybody, we have an email today! Oh my goodness, we have an email today and that means a bonus recording for this week in addition to the usual five that are uploaded. And why am I so excited to do this? Yes, I know you didn't ask, but I'm going to answer it. On a private recording for Reformation Day, I told people that the state of the Reformation is pretty darn grim. Lutheran churches everywhere have more or less failed to complete the Great Commission. They might say they do evangelism, but what they mean is we have a school that we think makes us attractive, we have a Facebook page, and maybe, just maybe, we fund a couple of missionaries so they can do the evangelism we don't want to do. Now, of course, that's not every single good confessional Lutheran congregation out there. There are congregations that really do evangelism. They do their job. It is great. Thank you for those Lutheran churches who do that. And it was incredibly encouraging to get this email today from an individual from Wisconsin who wants to know how he can proceed. He says this, Hello, Pastor. Apologies for the delay. I wanted to reach out for advice on a big project my home church is undertaking. Namely, that we are endeavoring to plant a church in the proverbial heart of Mammon, the trendy hipster part of a very liberal city. To that end, I wanted to ask for your advice on how one should approach such an endeavor and mode broadly enacting the Great Commission in America today. God's blessings upon you, WK. Well, WK, first let me tell you, it's awesome to hear that you and your church want to do this. You want to plant a church. You want to be faithful to God and obedient to our Lord Christ. It is awesome. I just wanted to say that you should feel joy and pride in obeying our Lord. It's awesome. Now, as for your question on how to proceed with church planting and evangelism, I can give you evangelism strategies. I'm not an expert on the exact logistics of setting up a church there, but I can tell you, first and foremost, you need a place. You're going to need an actual place to meet up on Sundays for you and the people who want to attend it. It's also good to have some people in your current home congregation attending on those Sundays. Why do I say that? First and foremost, if you're inviting people to church who are unchurched and they come to the Sunday service and it turns out they're the only guy that shows up to that Sunday service, well, they're going to feel weird. It's going to be awkward because you have a non-believer sitting down and being quiet around a pastor. So first, before anything else, you want to make sure that you have a place, you have a preacher, and you have some people who are deciding to venture out to that church plant. Now, if there's nobody at your home church willing to do that, it's a good idea to maybe sign up yourself to be one of those guys and let people know while you're doing evangelism, hey, right now we got a pastor and we got one guy, but we're just starting out. You do want to be honest when you're doing evangelism about that, and sometimes maybe that's an asset. Small congregations make people feel more welcome. It's easier for a small congregation to show them, hey, we love you, we're welcoming you, we're here for you. Rather than a really, really big congregation 
where they don't know anybody, they don't see anybody. There maybe there's a welcoming committee to like spot out the new guy or something like that, but that's a little creepy. <laughs> so it's it's harder for big congregations to do this sort of evangelism at times when there's a lot of people. So it might be an asset if there's only a couple people, might not. Either way, you want to make sure to be upfront and honest if it's only you and the preacher. Now, a preacher is going to be essential. Why do I say this? There's a problem right now in modern evangelism. A lot of the stuff that we have done previously, in previous generations, going as far back as Pentecost, doesn't really ring in people's ears. Let me give you an example here. Here is from Acts chapter 2. This is during Pentecost. That St. Peter says here in verse 36, Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, for the promises for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. So, St. Peter here, he gives this beautiful sermon. It is street preaching. The very first sermon at Pentecost is this street preaching sermon that cuts straight through to people's hearts. He preaches the law and the gospel, but boy howdy, there is definitely a sense of law there because he's willing to tell these people flat out, you crucified him. You're guilty, but he is God. He is our savior. We need to believe in him. And that cuts straight to the heart. They love it. They need it. They absolutely understand how guilty they are. In today's culture, though, when people try to do that, it's typically the IFB, Fundamentalist Baptist, street preacher out there with a sign saying sinners go to hell or something like that, trying to appeal to people's common sense of guilt that non-believers have. What usually happens to these people? How many converts do they honestly win? Few, if any. They get laughed at, videos are put up there on the internet, and people are so stinking willing to mock them callously. People's hearts are so hardened these days that unless they hear a qualified preacher give a real 100% law and gospel sermon in church, chances are they are not going to hear some lines from a street preacher condemning them. Preaching the law pushes them away. Now, I'm not saying that the dynamic of law and gospel is illegitimate here. What I am saying is getting out there with a sign and saying, you're going to hell, repent you sinner, is falling on deaf ears given the nature of this generation's apostasy. Now, absolutely, they do need to hear the law, but they need to be able to digest it in a place and a situation where they cannot just walk away and mock it. So it's best to get these people in church first. The same goes, by the way, for those attempts at evangelism that are nothing but gospel. Remember, if you don't have somebody with a condemned heart, 
if they don't understand their need for a savior, what are they going to think about the gospel? Okay, well, this Jesus guy is promising me heaven. That's cool that there's like a bunch of other religions that do that. And if you tell me, oh man, Jesus heals our wounds. Well, look, man, I can get my boo-boos healed with therapy or dope or beer or some other sin that I really, really like. People are going to not listen if all they hear is the gospel. Trust me, the big evangelical movement has been doing nothing but gospel-centered evangelism for a very, very long time. And sure, you can look and see how big these evangelical churches are, but it'll be equally easy to notice that their church numbers are a revolving door. Just as many people are leaving as are showing up. So there's not much loyalty to be gained from just telling people Jesus grants you eternal life if you put your faith in him and they don't understand how much they need him. So what do we need to do? We need to get these people hearing a real law and gospel sermon from a preacher who has conviction, who has the ability to communicate this message so that every single ear, whether they are a non-believer a long-time believer or a freshly minted catechumen in the Lutheran church, everybody can understand it. And everybody can process what that sermon is saying and be encouraged to really repent and put their faith in Christ. So what you got to do is you got to get people in the church. That's honestly the extent of your evangelism. You want people to come to your church and then they can hear the message. Now, when it comes to how exactly you get people in church, how exactly you bring them in, I am going to always recommend the scattershot principle. If you always have one method of trying to invite people, you are not going to have nearly the reach that you could if you tried multiple methods at once. This could be pamphlets that you pass out. If you have like a thrift store with some particle board up there for the community, you can put pamphlets there inviting people to church. I won some members of my church when that happened. I just put up invitations. You can have people in your church passing them out, pass out some pamphlets so people can read it, check it out on their own time. If they're busy, if they don't have the time to hear somebody give the pitch of, hey, we have a great church. We want you to try it out. Hear the gospel, brother. It's a good community. They'll have the time when they get home to take a look at it. And, you know, here's hoping they keep it. I'm sure somebody is just going to throw it away. But that's not a big deal if you pass out enough pamphlets. Chances are for every seven people that throw their pamphlet away or say no thanks, there's going to be one guy that sees it and goes, you know, I'm not going to a church right now. Let me read this over and think about it. So pamphlets work as evangelism. I will always advocate for that. But remember, this is the scattershot principle. It should not be all that you do. Another thing that really helps out churches that are just starting out is community engagement. You want people to know that you're there. Now, oftentimes, this will end up manifesting itself in soup kitchen stuff, in charity, in caring for the poor. But I want you to be careful about that if you guys decide to start doing some charity work to get attention for your church. Are you doing this because you love the poor? Are you doing this for the sake of charity? Or are you doing it 
just to bring people into church. There are many people who will feel manipulated and even hostile towards you if they get the sense that all you want from them is for them to convert and you're trying to pay them, bribe them with charity. So there's more than one thing you can do here. Charity is something the church should be doing anyway, but the church should make sure that this charity work is for the right motivations. So what's a way that you can get attention for your church and your congregation while it's just starting out? Well, community engagement also happens with friendship to say, I'm going to have every single member of this church plant, all the people that volunteered to help start it, doing community engagement. If you have a yoga class that one woman wants to go to and she starts making friends, she can talk to people and say, hey, can I invite you to church? If you have another person out there who's going to, I don't know, a martial arts gym or an art club for painting or a, um, a hobby shop where they're doing like card games and stuff like that, 40K or whatever, that guy, you get into that community, you start making friends, you start caring about your friends, you start inviting them to church. In that way, they won't feel as much like strangers when they show up. This is much slower than pamphleting, but it's far more certain. You actually get to know people. You actually get to make them feel familiar, like they're not just a stranger walking into a building to hear a preacher say something. They know at least the person who invited them to church in the first place. That works. Jesus says in John 13, they will know that you are my disciples by how you love one another. And if you can treat strangers, non-believers, with the same kind of love and care and friendship that you would treat a fellow believer, they're going to see that and they're going to want that. Now that said, that does mean that the people who are planting this church together should get along and you should probably like each other. <laughs> you should be willing to hang out. Because then non-believers will see that that's what you're doing. Now, what are some other methods that we can embrace here? Having a website is good and important, not a Facebook account. Now, Facebook can work for evangelism purposes, but here's how that usually plays out. Instead of making a website, a church will have a Facebook account. And then a Zoomer hears about this church, but they don't do Facebook, so the church gets ignored. <laughs> and somebody's going to have it in the settings to where, like, if you look at the Facebook page for the church, but you don't have a Facebook account, you can't see everything. You have to log into Facebook. And a lot of people are going to go, nah, not for me. I'm not going to deal with that. Or they'll just say, Facebook, cringe, and they'll move on. So it's good to have an independent website if you can hack that, if you can make it work. Have your own church website with sermons and a real doctrinal focus. People can see what everything looks like from the website. And if they're curious, if they like what they see, they will be more likely to embrace that. But it should not be just a website showing doctrine and YouTube videos of the preacher giving out his sermons. Why? If that is all it is, if there's no community demonstrated, if there's nothing going on that's really, really important, well, somebody's going to go, all right, time to be an e-Christian. Oh boy, howdy, I do love this Lutheran website. I know, I'm going to get really, really, really into Lutheranism, 
and I'm not going to ask any questions. I'm not going to get to know anybody. I don't need to attend this church. I'm going to be kind of like those online e-trads out there who doesn't really do anything. I'm just going to watch the videos. How do you counter that impulse in people if they are checking things out on the website? One, do stuff as a congregation. Please, like actually do stuff. Have lunch together. Do things out in the park. Invite people to hang out. Second, have the preacher understand that he is being filmed or recorded. It needs to be drilled into his head that every single service during the announcements or during the welcome, whenever you will invite people to this church. As you start getting reach, as you start getting listens or views on whatever video or audio platform you're using, make sure to invite people. Interact with the people that are listening. You gotta think, all those VTubers out there who are making hundreds of thousands of dollars, all they have to do to make that money from people is interact with the people across the tubes, across the internet. That is literally all it takes to get somebody to do something is do stuff online and talk to them. Talk to them, invite them, do stuff, all that sort of thing. If you want more people to listen to your message that are curious about Lutheranism, that are curious about going to church to becoming a Christian, invite them online. Say, hey, welcome everybody to such and such Lutheran church. We love everybody that's here right now. And if you're listening online, we would love to have you over. You are valued. Our God loves you. And he wants to show that love to you here in this very building. Come on over. Come check it out. Nothing to be afraid of. We are a happy, friendly family, a church family. However he wants to put it, he's got to invite people. E-ministry, online ministry that's attached to a brick-and-mortar church or a church that's done in the park, however it's done, needs to have that invitation. So in covering what I'm calling the scattershot principle, we've covered pamphleting, peer-to-peer evangelism, where you get to know people and then invite them to your church. We've covered doing a bit of charity, not because you want more people in the church, although it might result in that, but really because you love the poor, that you actually love them, that you actually want to take care of them. But again, that might get good attention for your church. We've covered having a good website and always doing something so people can access those sermons and access those entire church services where they hear the invitation ring out. I've had multiple families come to the churches that I've served and start attending because they could hear me online and I invited them to show up. It was that simple. <laughs> it really was. But you can get creative with other things too. You can do community events. In Halloween next year, you could do trunk or treat for people and let people out in your community know, hey, we have a safe place for your kids to do trick or treating. All sorts of stuff like that to invite them. Then when people start attending, they hear the law, they hear the gospel, they hear the response. And that is what really makes conversion happen. St. Paul writes in the book of Romans, faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Romans 10 verse 17. If people aren't going to give you the time of day 
in normal evangelistic styles, street preaching, going door to door, that sort of thing. People won't give you that time of day. You be nice to them, you invite them, and they will show up to the place where they will hear, where they will hear the actual evangelism. This is why every pastor in the Lutheran church preaches law and gospel instead of, say, expository verse-by-verse preaching, because in preaching law and gospel, you are evangelizing to all of your hearers. And even dyed-in-the-wool cradle Lutherans need to be evangelized to every single Sunday. Even believers need it. Now that said, if you do decide to do some independent reading on church planting strategies, on missions work, on evangelism, you're going to hear all sorts of people say, Oh man, you got to know your target demographic. You got to know what they need to hear. You got to know the do's and don'ts. You got to know what's going to offend them, man. And you're going to hear all sorts of stuff like that. You're going to hear people say that you need to change your church service and your preaching style to accommodate the culture that you're going into. I will tell you right now, don't. It is good to know some of the sorts of things that are going to offend them, like a turn of phrase that you didn't realize is offensive to them according to their personal lingo. Um, We've all heard of like the poison wood Bible and fictitious stories like that, but things like that actually do happen. Sometimes people will not understand the foreign culture that they're stepping in, but you're not going to Uganda. You're not going to somewhere so foreign that you have to learn an entirely different language. You're going into an American city. Everybody already speaks English for the most part. And yes, it's good to maybe know what's going to really tick them off. Maybe maybe you hold off on preaching about tax reform, right? (laughs) Don't change a thing about how you do church. Do not change how you do church. Do not hide your doctrines from men. Jesus says, if you're ashamed of me, I'm going to be ashamed of you. Boldly proclaim. And that is going to win you so many more converts than if you try to spin your message to accommodate their particular feelings. We live in an amazing and fertile ground right now for real evangelism because people are hungering and thirsting after something authentic and after real identity. The church provides that. But if the church is trying to be what she is not, if she's trying to say, I'm going into an urban center where a lot of people don't understand the language and stuff that's that's all around the church that we're so used to, I'm going to say communion isn't Jesus Christ giving his body and blood to us, for us to take and eat, take and drink for the refreshing of our faith, that's going to make them really uncomfortable because they're all a bunch of modernists and materialists. Instead, while that's true, instead I'm going to say this is how God gives us a super special epic hug. Yes, I have seen Lutheran church planners do that sort of thing. And I've seen their little infomercials that they have on their YouTube channels. And it's it's embarrassing. You are clearly ashamed of what Lutheranism truly teaches. Just be bold. Just be honest. And be something that they understand, that non-believers understand they are not. Make them interested. Make them curious. If you try to accommodate and dumb everything down, if you are ashamed of the doctrines, ashamed of the gospel, well, 
great. They'll just look at you and go, well, I can get whatever message you're saying off of wherever I go. I can get that at the bar. I can get that at the club. Oh, radical acceptance. Oh, Jesus preaches radical love. Well, so does the Democratic Socialists of America. I just with maybe a little bit different specifics. <laughs> if you change your message, they're going to ignore you. Maybe you'll get some other people. Maybe you'll get some people interested, but they're not going to be real genuine believers. Be bold. Be honest. Don't change the liturgy. Don't dumb anything down. I don't care if somebody says it doesn't appeal to the inner city. Nothing about the Christian faith appeals to them. They're not believers. Nothing is going to appeal to them until God opens the eyes of their soul by his word. Duh. But if you try to act like you're just like them, and you have pastor skinny jeans with an acoustic guitar instead of a real Lutheran pastor in proper vestments, or for us pietists that don't vest, at least in a suit or something, then you are totally worthless to them. You come off as a deceiver who's saying, I'm going to pretend to be like you so that you come to my church. I want your butt in my pew and I want your tithe money in my wallet. And that's what this is. People are so used to getting conned, deceived, and manipulated out there that if you honestly started a church plant with a preacher that actually vests, that actually uses incense, that goes off of the hymnal and the liturgy, everything, he's willing to explain it. But if he's not compromising, that's going to appeal to people more. He's being honest. And every single person out there in any resource you read that says you need to change for them is telling you to be deceitful and manipulative. Do not do that. Please, please do not bear false witness about yourself in order to manipulate people into becoming Lutherans. It won't work. They will be shallow believers. Do not compromise. Actually be authentic Lutherans. Aggressively evangelize. And with patience, I guarantee you, God's word is going to do what God's word says it will do. And with that, finally, pray. Everybody that's involved with this church plant should be praying constantly, unceasingly, forever. You need to be in prayer about this. Because as much as I can say, yeah, this is what I have done in the past. It has always worked for me. It works slowly but surely. I, it, I can show you the fruit if you want. You can even email me for greater details on that. Fine, cool, sure. If God's not involved with it, it's totally worthless. It's not going to work. If it's not God's word doing what God's word says, and if it is not God bringing people to you, for that harvest, it's going to fail. But we trust in a loving and merciful God who rewards those who are obedient to his holy commandments. And if he sees you among all the Lutheran churches out there who are rebelling against his word, you're out there actually saying, no, we are going to evangelize. We are going to fulfill the Great Commission. He's going to reward that. I have high hopes for you guys. But keep it in prayer so that our Lord will grant you success. So let's go ahead and take that to the Lord in prayer. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Heavenly God, I do pray for my good friend and for his congregation 
They want to be faithful servants that are obeying the Great Commission. They want to evangelize. They want to be real, authentic, good Lutherans here. They love you, O Lord. They love your word. They love the gospel and they want to share that with people in a very dark environment, an urban city full of liberals, full of people who are used to a worldly, secular way of thinking, talking, and acting. I pray, dear Heavenly God, that you will grant them success to be bold, authentic, godly Lutherans in that city that are willing to do the work of evangelists, that bring people in. And in the midst of this, dear God, please bind the devil and his angels so that they may not interfere with that. Please cease the voices out there, the evil voices that go into people's heads all throughout that city so that nothing distracts or offends or causes them to be alarmed as they hear the pure word of God. Please prosper them in this, and I pray that this church will be a powerful witness in that city. We thank you very much for this, O Lord, and we love you. And in the most holy name of Jesus Christ, we pray it. Amen. All right. Hope that helps everybody. And if anybody out there is listening and you want your church to be doing evangelism, feel free to bring this recording out to your pastor. This doesn't have to be just this guy who emailed me that has some benefit from it. I really do earnestly hope and pray that it benefits every Lutheran church out there that's willing to listen and willing to start the work of evangelists once more. That'd be great, because then if the Lutheran church starts growing instead of dying, y'all can point to me 10 years from now and go, well, pastor, you said in that private recording that there was a lot of messed up stuff in Lutheranism, but look at how triumphant we are. Nya, 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 nya. You were wrong, we were right. I really do hope that's the case. Anyway, Lord bless you and keep you. Amen and amen.